Why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside? One, two, three, four. This is the Prying Priest Podcast, and I'm Father Yuri Hladio. You're listening to the first half of an unedited interview about the personal stories of amazing people and why they have come to believe what they do. For the second half of these interviews, you can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash pryingpriest. But for now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Prying Priest podcast, Frank Rocky. Thank you, Yuri. Uh, I met you... When did we meet? We never met form. I don't even remember when we met. We met when you started working at Architect Hair Design back in uh, 2018. Yeah. I think I probably met you before that because we'd come for drinks and everything. You recognized the logo on my t-shirt that said St. Mike's College, University of Toronto. Oh, yeah. So I went to Trinity College. and St. Mike's is one of the two Catholic colleges at uh, the U of T. Um, yeah, so for those that aren't in the know, Frank and I for a long time worked at Architect Hair Design, which is a barbershop slash a bar slash a meeting place. And uh, in true architect fashion, we are currently in Architect Hair Design recording this podcast. But we can't be upstairs because in true architect fashion, the, uh, the owner Pete and some others are uh, having a good time upstairs. So we're in the basement in the dungeon. Uh, recording this podcast. I'm very happy to have you. I think it's going to be a lively podcast. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, so I think it first off, I think you should maybe go through a little bit about, I think you are actually our, the first person that has a Catholic background on a this Roman podcast. Catholic background. Roman Catholic background, yes. So could you uh, maybe speak a little bit towards what it was like growing up in sort of a Roman Catholic home and and what that was like? Well, I had a very interesting experience growing up as a child. I, I was born in Hamilton, but when I was young, my parents moved up to Ancaster, which in those days, and I'm talking the late 50s, Ancaster was nowhere near it was today. It was maybe 5,000 people, and it was serviced by a mission church. Uh, St. Anne's Ancaster was built in the mission style. Um, the Oblates... Uh, who uh, looked after the church and the congregation were designated as missionaries. Most of them had 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 some significant experience um, dealing with indigenous parishes uh, up in northern Ontario, where the scenario in those days was even bleaker than it is now. But the important thing that I remember, in addition to everything else, is that I grew up in the most turbulent era of the last the last century. I grew up in the 60s. I was eight years old in 1960, and I was 18 years old in 1970. And Vietnam broke out, and the Beatles woke everybody up, and all the rebellions that started basically started in the 60s, of course, with the exception of Dr. King, just about everybody else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I was, I was a child of two different scenarios because on the one side, it was doctrinal Roman Catholicism and there's no room for, for maneuvering. 
And the other side was the complete rejection of such a um, an unflexible, unbending type of activity, such as an organized religion. And that was epitomized by the hippies and the anti-war movement and free love and hate Ashbury and rock and roll. Mm-hmm. So where did, yeah, where did you, how did you navigate that tension when you were younger? Well, um, I guess I just was, was, was part of it. I didn't really even think of it as, as much of a tension, although I was very lucky in that I used to spend the summers uh, either as a camper or as a counselor at CYO Camper Buff up in Rockwood, Ontario. So I'd be gone from my immediate family for eight weeks to two months. Although Camper Buff being a Catholic camp, we were at mass every day. So every day. Every day. Yep. And uh, sometimes I served the masses. Depends whether we were short altar boys, but uh, it was it was an ongoing part of of life. It was an act, everyday practice of the faith. So, would you, looking back on those years now, basically call have called yourself like a believing Catholic boy? Yeah, I was a believing Catholic until uh, Humanae Vitae came out, and I remember Humanae Vitae. I was working up at camp when Paul VI issued his anti-birth control encyclical. I was probably 13 or 14 at the time, and it struck me as completely illogical, especially given that in my own personal life, my late beloved mother had suffered six miscarriages on her way to delivering six children. Wow. So I wasn't a big fan of any pope telling a woman what she could do with her body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that and you said that was around like 13 or 14? Yeah, about 1968 when the encyclical came out. So were you were you then like rebellious, I'm going to leave the church, or were you sort of still functioning within that world, but just having kind of deep reservations about Catholicism? Like, well, was it a clean break or was there oh, a process? No. no, it wasn't. It wasn't. In fact, it was a, it was a protracted break that finally culminated when my children were old enough to make their own decisions. And they all broke with the church for different reasons. I went through Catholic high school. I went to Cathedral Boys High School in Hamilton. And I went to St. Mike's College at University of Toronto, where I went to the uh, Pontifical Institute for Medieval Studies and studied philosophy under some very fine minds. So I was immersed in Catholic theology. Um, I was... Uh, surrounded by Catholic clerics. Um, I spoke Latin occasionally. Um, I had been an altar boy. I was grounded in the faith. Mm. Mm. But the faith was very inflexible. Mm. Were there any, were there any figures that you, and let's say any like priests or religious Catholic figures that you looked up to that maybe navigated the faith in a way that you were like, okay, maybe I could navigate it kind of like them. Um, Or did you not have sort of like a figure that you could look up to, to sort of, to save your Catholicity? That's an excellent question, Yuri. And you remind me of a a very dear friend of mine, Father David McBriar. Father McBriar was a Franciscan. 
He was a fascinating man. He came from an East Coast American family of incredible wealth who disowned him when he became a Catholic priest. And he really antagonized them because he became a Franciscan and forswore any wealth. He used to preach mass on Sundays wearing his sandals, which drove my father crazy. But my old man loved Father McBriar because he was an intellectual and he actually, he was working at McMaster. He was teaching courses at McMaster. He was the first real wind of, of, of fresh air. Uh, this is at the time when the, Ber the Berrigans were beginning to gain prominence in the United States with their anti-war activities. Now the Berrigans were Jesuits, but you know, Jesuits, Franciscans, you know, eh, like first cousins, what can I say? I mean, considering that, you know, one of the co-founders of the Jesuits was St. Francis Xavier, after whom I'm named, who was himself named after Francis of Assisi. And I like to say to people, because everyone forgets this, there were two great Francis's in the church, not just Francis Assisi, Francis Xavier, who was a warrior, who was the co-founder of the Jesuits. And Paul I, or pardon me, Francis I, if memory serves, is the first Jesuit ever to be named as a pope. And I'm sure there are members of the Curia right now, in light of his commentaries about same-sex marriage, saying to each other, this is why we don't elect Jesuits to be popes. And that's why they're called God's stormtroopers, because they go where no one else will go. And I've always admired them for that fact. Mm. Uh, what about this might be a fun one but what about the opposite so um, maybe people that you didn't look up maybe the so instead of people you looked up to maybe like certain people in your kind of Catholic upbringing or or maybe like a story or two of like people that just infuriated you or you mentioned the story of uh, the Pope coming out with that encyclical about the birth control pill yeah. and that that's that was sort of like a, a moment where you could put a flag in the ground right I'll do um, you one better that was sure. an epiphany Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Well, any other epiphanies or, yeah, I guess uh, any yeah. any other moments where you were just like, ah, like, why this? Or or why are you like this? Or this person annoys me? Or, or what, you know, you can take it from there. Well, the big one comes many years later. Um, my then wife and my youngest son and I had gone to Rome. We were going to meet our, our other two children, his siblings. They had been in Italy for six weeks. We were going over to pick them up. And we were in Rome for three days, and then we were going up to uh, Venice to pick them up. So on the second day, Margot, my then wife, and Daniel, who is my youngest, and I went to the Vatican Museum. And we were walking across Vatican Square after the tour. And Daniel looked up at me and said, Dad, why doesn't the church take one of those big rooms full of treasure in the basement that nobody sees and feed all the poor of the world. And that, that was like a bolt of lightning for me. If an 11 year old could see that, why couldn't the guy wearing the white robe up on the balcony see that? And why have two millennia of popes refused to see that? Now, my daughter and my eldest son had already broken with the church by that time because, let's face it, the church isn't much of a, an interest for a thinking young woman. There's just not enough latitude there. 
And my eldest, who has always been captivated by Carl Sagan, might accept the notion of a prima mobile, but that's about as far as he'll ever go with God. Mm, the prime mover. Yeah. Got it. Um, as I open my second beer here, things are going to get a little, you know, heat, not heated, uh, exciting here. Um, Did you mention that we're both big Thai cat fans? <laughs> that's okay. That's the real religion. Yes. Right here. Okay. In this town. That's yes. So here's a story from me about you. Okay. Oh my God. I, um, I, for those that don't know, my wife becomes like an Amazon warrior woman when you take her to a football game. <laughs> I've seen her in action. Yeah. <laughs> I can attest to that. And um, let's just say um, choice words uh, flow through her uh, like, I don't know, a construction worker or a sailor or oh, whatever. They could come back in the next life as a mule driver. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, certain um, hand symbols as well, you know, are a regular occurrence uh, at football games. And... One time I decided, well, I got an extra, t- me and Nikaila, we got an extra ticket. And like with my dad, right? And my, my dad's, you know, is a, you know, Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox priest who's, you know, very. And a wonderful man and a huge football fan. <laughs> yes. And he gets very animated at football games too, but not to the point of And he enjoys a cold and, beer. Yeah. So. Occasionally. We had an extra ticket. So I think, hey, Frank likes the Thai cats. <laughs> Let's bring Frank along. And Frank, you gave my wife a run for her money. <laughs> And I was sitting right between you with my dad in front of me. And I'm like, oh, my dad is like, my son brought these two people to this football game. These two pagans. <laughs> Drawing so much attention to us right now. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it, it was a game for the ages. It was a lot of fun. We won. Yes. I don't remember me. who we were playing. But I don't recall I that. would have remembered if we lost because... <laughs> My wife has threatened to send pipe bombs to opposing player team's oh, quarterbacks. I believe her. I believe her. And that's not a good thing when your brother's a Mountie. You shouldn't be threatening <laughs> exactly. to use the federal post <laughs> yeah. to deliver explosives. Um, okay. Um, <clears throat> let's go back. Let's go back. Let's take... I'm going to do a weird question here. Sure. When you look back at the history of the church, what's something that you think about that you're like, you know what? I think that was a good thing. Like you have a positive feeling towards it. So the history of the church, it could be like any, it could be any point in the history of the church. Um, I know that you have a lot of negative ones, but uh, I'm asking the positive one first. Well, you can, you can tell by the way I'm reacting, Yuri. I'm, I'm having a difficult time thinking about the positivity of, of the church's actions. I mean, this country is a repudiation of what organized Catholicism stands for. The treatment of our indigenous people by the Catholic Church was, is, and will be an outrage until it's dealt with. Um, I guess if I was going to do something in terms of looking for a positive perspective, I'd have to look at the perseverance of the early church before, before Constantine. Because once Constantine became a Christian, it gave Catholicism capital that it didn't have up until that time. And it took them off the endangered species list because they weren't being butchered in the arenas of yeah. the Roman Empire. There's a, there was a, 
I can't uh, place it right now, but there's a quote from um, a, uh, a, I think it was a senator, or it was a high up political figure uh, in the Roman Empire at the time that it had become Christian. And he said um, something along the lines of, um, yeah, I'll, I'll accept becoming a Christian as long as you can promise me I'll be the Bishop of Rome because of the power and the prestige and the um, property, all the, all, you know, all the PP words. Sure. Well, let's face it. If Caesar could make his horse a senator, so could the Pope. And I believe Julius VI did exactly that. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's go, uh, let's go to the negative. <laughs> Pick one thing, Frank. <clears throat> the repression of minorities, whether they be women or gays or indigenous peoples. The role of the church in the uh, industrialization and the militarization of the world cannot be ignored. The Catholic Church was there with fire and sword when Cortez fought the, the Aztecs, when Columbus came ashore. I mean, the Pope started a war. The Pope started the Crusades. Deus Levolt, which weirdly enough translates into Inshallah, which translates into God wills it. That was started by the popes. The popes are to blame for some of the great incendiary activities of history. The Inquisition, that great evil, um, the burning of heretics the Lollards, the Huguenots, the slaughters of all of the people who opposed Catholicism. Uh, the, the sins of the church would, would form a pile that would stink in the nostrils of heaven itself. I'm going to put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> um, to what degree, I, I know that a lot, of, a lot of people that, are not practicing Catholics will still call themselves Catholic, almost as if it's like a nationality that they don't really do anything about. They're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm Catholic, aren't you know? We're all Catholic, aren't we? You know, to what degree do you still identify yourself? Maybe not identify yourself, but identify as Catholic, if that makes sense. To what degree does it play an effect in your like everyday life, and to what degree? Does it play a part in the way that you understand your identity? Every time I want to give the Catholic Church the benefit of the doubt, a new example of pedophilia floats to the surface. And for me, that is where the buck stops. My God does not forgive pedophiles. The only prohibition that I'm aware of that Christ ever issued was a prohibition against hurting children. Better a man tie a millstone around his neck and cast himself into the stream than he do harm to the little children. If I had my way, every baby raper who ever molested a child would be hanged by a, their neck by a gibbet in Vatican Square. And the church has steadfastly and adamantly refused to deal with that problem. This is worse 
than what they did with Galileo. And it just keeps on going. The news that broke this week of that bastard from Boston who should have been thrown in Boston Harbor with an anchor, anchor around his neck for what he did to children, and he's allowed to live out a peaceable life. That's just wrong. And every time I think I might be okay, it happens again. So as long as the church is comfortable with pedophilia, I'm not comfortable with the church. How can I, as a father of three children, be comfortable with a concept which flies in our Lord's face? Mm-hmm. Can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, um, you're painting the picture of, of a man who has an extremely uh, thoughtful and complicated relationship with Catholicism. It's would, not would complicated, you, would you Yuri. They're not doing what they said they were going to do. Mm-hmm. And and I don't have a I don't have a problem repudiating them. I mm-hmm. mean, I haven't gone to mass in years because I can't stand being in a room with people who have no problem accepting someone who's a pedophile. To me, I'd hang them, I'd shoot them, I'd drown them. That's what pedophiles deserve, not the comfort and sanctity of Holy Mother Church. That is anathema to me. Mm-hmm. And anathema is just about as bad as you can get in the Catholic Church. Well, anathema is a condemnation reserved for those uh, heretics to go to hell, basically. You got it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when it comes to when it comes to issues in the Catholic Church, obviously that issue is forefront number one. To what degree would that issue like? It seems to me that that issue has tainted basically any other issue that could come up. Yeah. So like any, I okay here. Well, here's a question: like what what would the Catholic Church have to do to appease to appease you? To appease me personally? Like if 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 the Pope came to Frank and said Frank, if Frank came to Frank and said, um, magic wand. Well, the first thing I'd say is, Your your Holiness, I think the two of us should smoke a joint and discuss this. We'll order a couple of pies and have it. But what I would like to see the Pope do would be to come out and say to the papal nuncio, shut your mouth, do what you're told. And this is what I'm telling you. You expel every one of those bastards. You lift the prohibitions against female clerics. And you withdraw the hateful screeds that you issue against homosexuality it's evil and that's not what a church of love is supposed to be about and i haven't seen a church of love personified by the catholic church in the entire time i've been alive and i'm 68 years old Mm -hmm. how would so you mentioned there was the, the one priest that you said was somewhat of a positive kind of influence or or a positive person at least in 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 your experience how, like, I, I did you get to talk to him about any of these issues, or um, have those issues kind of come up with that person? I'm not sure if that question makes sense or not. But well, I when I knew Father David, I was in high school, and and he was he was a very cerebral man. He was gifted and articulate, and oftentimes when he came to the house, which he did all the time because he loved my mom's cooking and my dad's wine. 
and the conversation, the back and forth. Um, my dad would usually usurp him. So I didn't get an, a lot of time. But later on, years later, I managed to uh, connect with him in Colorado. The two of us did some skiing together and uh, spent some time almost on a retreat. It was wonderful. Um, Colorado is a great place to get off the beaten path. He was always a very forgiving man. He went on to run an AIDS clinic in New York, in Manhattan, downtown Manhattan, when when the AIDS contagion was raging and, you know, everyone was dying of AIDS. Who contracted it? And David was down there, you know. So he he really, to me, he epitomized a lived life of not so much Catholicism as of, of Christianity in the, in the true sense of Christ. Um, he looked after other people. He put their needs ahead of his. And it's funny because I haven't seen him in 30 or 40 years, but it, it, it all comes back very clearly to me. Mm -hmm. and, and I have to say also the priests at St. Mike's, because they were, first of all, being university professors, they were used to kids talking back. Some of them actually knew my dad from when he was at St. Mike's. So they had longevity. They were philosophers. They were scholars. Um, but they were urbane. They were witty. Um, they had a taste for some very good things in life. Uh, they gave me a slightly different perspective. And then later, actually, I just remembered, I went, I went to Rome for a while. And um, I was... Uh, fortunate enough to get to know a fellow who was the basically the CFO of a religious order. His name was Father Don Maracol. And uh, he took me into the Vatican Bank. Uh, I met the number two guy in the Vatican at the time, Cardinal Pinedoli. I met uh, the president of the Vatican Bank, um, Archbishop Marcinkus, who was uh, a cathedral, uh, pardon me, a St. Mike's alumnus. Cardinal Morris, or Archbishop Marcinkus, I should say, was later involved in the uh, big scandal in the Vatican, which is very interestingly portrayed in Godfather Part Three, uh, where um, Roberto Calvi was found swinging under London Bridge with 20 pounds of rocks in his pockets, he, uh, having tried to rip off the Masons and the mob, which is a very dangerous combination to take on. So... But I met a lot of those people. It was it was a fascinating experience. Mm -hmm. It's really something to see a Swiss guard clip stand to attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're very strong on these certain points when it comes to the Catholic Church. And uh, would you say, I guess respond respond to this: Is it morally wrong to be a member, a believing member of the Catholic Church today? I don't know. The first person I would think about would be my mother, who died very young. And that's probably where my faith really came a cropper. I couldn't understand why God needed her. Um, but my mother would have been very strong in her resolve in opposing some of the things that bishops and priests and popes have done. And my parents were, I mean, they were both well-educated people. My mom was a nurse. My dad was a lawyer. They both went to university. 
they were both raised in strong Catholic families, but my mother was much more objective about it than my father was. And that's probably where I get it from is, you know, always taking a, taking a swing at authority. Cause my old man was a lawyer. And like, if you talk back, you were going to be wearing your teeth for a necklace because you'd, you'd have gotten a backhander real fast. But my mom was always one who would entertain a, an opposite perspective and we could have conversations. Mm -hmm. So that's probably where the rebel comes from. Mm. And John Lennon rebel comes from yeah. that too. Yeah. Imagine rolls a big, big part of that. Yeah. I guess, well, maybe we could talk a little bit about that because the 60s and the 70s were the time of rock and roll, the Beatles, John Lennon, Vietnam War, but it was also the time of Vatican II. Yes. Right? Which is, uh, for those listeners that don't know, it was a time in which, if you actually read the document from Vatican II, it's relatively reasonable. It's just trying to get people more actively participating in services, which is a reasonable request for a church, for well, its that participants. that was John 23, right? John 23 was uh, Vatican II. Right. So that's at the beginning of the 60s. That's before Paul shows up with the encyclical going, no, right, no, right. no, 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 no. It's like every now and then you get a little crack of light and then some jerk comes and shuts the door tight. Mm -hmm. And that's how I viewed Paul after John 23. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, when it comes to rock and roll and religion, then I, I guess I'm, I'm getting the picture of um, that those things existed in tension for you. Oh, yeah. Right? That it was – well, if you listen to John Lennon, Lennon's Imagine, it's explicitly anti-religious. Uh, I I don't know if you like the song or not. I'd say it's overtly. I, oh, I, of course. I like the song as a song. I really think – I don't like the lyrics though. Um, imagine there's no heaven? Not just that. I can easily imagine there's no heaven. Why don't you like the lyrics? Okay, well, that's a good question. Maybe we'll save that for the patrons. All right. Can we save that for the patrons? Sure. Okay, for our Patreon episode, everyone, me and Frank, we're going to bring up the lyrics of Imagine and debate whether they are um, intellectually astute or not, or just why I don't like them. Um, fair enough. Okay, so, uh, yeah, when it comes to rock and roll and... Okay, here's a weird question. Did you ever think about ordination at all when you were Many a times. young? Oh, I, yeah. When I was in high school, the early years especially, my chosen vocation, and I use that word specifically, would have been to have been a combination of a veterinarian and a priest. I would have thought that oh. was the, the perfect the perfect calling for me. Mm -hmm. Of course, I always thought I'd spend more time with animals than I would with humans, and I generally prefer animals to humans. But yeah, I, for a long time I did. I, I, I really thought about it. Um, mm -hmm. And then women came along. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> Come on over to the Orthodox side, you know? <laughs> it's been suggested. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, we talked about the Catholic Church. Oh, okay. Well, here's, a, here's an easy question. When... So there's a certain amount of dissatisfaction, <laughs> to put it lightly, with uh, with certain way there are certain things that the Catholic Church has done, right? Um, I find that okay, I'm an Orthodox Christian, and I find that I can criticize the Orthodox Church 
almost the way I would criticize a family member, right? Okay, we live in the same house. I can call you out on this. To what degree do you feel like you still um, are, quote unquote, living in the same house as the Catholic Church? Or are you kind of, are you criticizing it from within in your mind? Or are you criticizing it from without? Um, I'd have to say from without. There's very little in the Catholic Church that would attract me, resonate with me, or interest me. I mean, they're not coming up with new theology. And even Francis I is moving at a snail-like pace. He's been pontiff for five years now. And I'm still waiting for the kind of announcements he made the other day. And there were so many people who were who were jubilant. I recognize it takes time to change your mind, but it seems to me if you spend every day talking to God, you should have a few insights. <laughs> yeah, that's, there's another T-shirt. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, the question I asked just now was about uh, criticizing. So you, you would look at it sort of more from without and, and, and criticizing it in that way. Well, I don't, I mean, I'm, I might as well be completely candid. Um, my wife of 26 years and I have been divorced. We were married in the Catholic Church. So according to some old guy in a white suit, I'm going to hell. Mm-hmm. I don't think I am, but there's only one going to be one way to find out. You got to die. You got it. <laughs> uh, see, our Orthodox theology would say you don't have to wait to die to be in hell. You can do it right now. Oh, you can just stay married. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's all. Yeah, that's another issue. I had a, a earlier guest named Kenton, and uh, we were talking about the ce- basically the celibacy, the, the practical elements of what it would mean to be celibate or not as, as a priest. And, uh, <laughs> and we made a joke about, you know, sometimes it would be nice to be celibate. You know, my wife just came home and is mad at me. So, you never I know. mean, you know, you can be enforced or you can be self-obedient either or one of the things you said was from an orthodox perspective would be funny because you mentioned that the orthodox that the catholic church hasn't come up with new theology but one of the main criticisms of orthodox polemics against the catholic church is that they keep coming up with new theology (laughs) and new for the orthodox is like the fact that the catholic church came uh declared immaculate conception or it was the either the assumption or the immaculate conception as dogma in the 1850s or so uh, and the orthodox were like yeah you can't do that that's way too that's way too new <laughs> um yeah so uh you know do a little reading on the orthodox and then give me your thoughts there i'd be really excited <laughs> um what do you think the place of religion is for canadians well, I'm not sure if everybody heard that, but upstairs, the party's getting a little rowdy and they just smashed a glass. <laughs> From what I've observed of the Canadian society, religion is a de minimis scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be in small towns uh, a linchpin, but not in an urban setting anymore. There's just there's just too many alternatives. Um one of the interesting things that I see here in Hamilton is the development of these 
large evangelical churches, but I tend to look upon evangelism with more disdain simply because of what it has allowed Donald Trump to do. Um, the mm, proliferation of hatred espoused by ministers is so antithetical to what any kind of faith is that um, I consider it a fraud. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of, um, okay, here's a metaphor. Okay. So lots, I think I've used this metaphor in a previous podcast, but I'm going to do it again because it's a good metaphor. Um, it's easier. So if you're a, can, if you're a football fan in Canada, it is statistically more likely that you're a fan of the NFL, the American, you know, in, in, the, in the States than you are the CFL. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you, you might like the CFL, but you probably still like the NFL. But the N- the NFL, because it has the money, it has the cultural influence, it is easier to be a fan of the NFL than it is, even if you live in Hamilton with its own CFL team, to be a fan of the Ticats just because of the amount of money that they can kind of pour into this and the amount of cultural influence. I So this is a metaphor that I think is analogous to the way that American evangelical churches function. That there's this, it, it's a clear-cut product. Well, what does church look like? It looks like A, B, and C. You have a structure of it. You just, it's a cookie cutter. You take it, you apply it to any city that you want to do. And and you're seeing that pop up in Hamilton. You're seeing it pop up kind of all over Canada. And um, it's very interesting because that model of Christianity, that evangelical model of, model of Christianity is actually subverting more traditional forms of Christianity. So if you go to say a Mennonite church in Winnipeg, it's not really a Mennonite church. It's an evangelical church that has the terminology of Mennonite tradition, right? So I'm not sure uh, where I was going with that, but maybe you could kind of speak a little bit to that of the of the American American religious influence on on Canada. I'm not sure if you have anything to say on that, but I equate evangelism with fast food. Um, it's there to solve a temporary craving or who in, to indulge those who just really want to overeat. And I'm one Canadian who never found the NFL that interesting. I mean, you know, a lot of people are Buffalo Bills fans. And I don't know how many of them ever knew that Bill stands for Boy, I Love Losing Super Bowls because they're one of two NFL teams to go four in a row, the other one being the uh, Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings didn't lose four Super Bowls in a row. No, I think they've they, lost four Super Bowls. They, they moved back and forth between Buffalo and Minnesota. Right. Yeah. Um, I have no use for evangelicism. Um, I feel the same way I do about the Vatican Museum. When you look at somebody like Joel Osteen with those extravagant, nauseating lifestyles, when you've got people with no health care in the United States, with no food, where families have been separated and shuttered, and this jerk uh, just continues to ask for more money. And when I hear an evangelical praising Donald Trump, who is a racist, misogynist, backward, son of a bitch, 
it makes me want to puke on my boots because clearly they didn't get the message from God. They got it in a wallet with a whole bunch of money. Don't you know that Donald Trump is the chosen one, though? I choose him <laughs> for a hanging. Hey, I didn't say what he was chosen for. Anyways, this is a religion podcast, not a, not a politics it podcast. Is, we, can, we can talk about politics, we, though. We have to talk about the fact that religion in America has been prostituted for political means. Yes, and and like, like it is um, in any... Like for example, you go the Roman like the Roman Empire after Constantine, right? Like, um, it just happens. It's, it's yeah, su- it's, but by then it was almost over. Yuri. The <laughs> best part was behind them. You know, so, Catholicism was just another effort for them to find another plank to keep from sinking. Yeah. Do you think anything? What do you think survived from the early centuries of Christianity till today? Because you mentioned that when you think about the kind of the early, the perseverance of the early church, that that is sort of a, a, excuse me, a good, a good thing to point to, right? That there's something there that is good. But then, you know, of course, the institutionalization of the church through the Roman Empire um, caused a lot of problems. Do you think there's anything, maybe even in a nascent or a seed form or, or something that survived from the early church all the way till today? If, if I could find that seed, it would probably have to be amongst the missionaries. I don't see it in, in organized Catholicism. I just, I'm, I just don't see it happening. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mind you, I have to be candid. I'm, I'm not engaged in the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read the news about what's going on and I pray fervently. I actually pray fervently that God will send down a lightning bolt and kill a priestly pederast, just as an example. Mind you, I've been waiting for a long time for that to happen. But I think that's the downside of uh, free will. You know, when God gave us free will and we decided to disobey, he kind of threw up his hands and said, screw you guys, you're on your own. I gave you a shot, you blew it. Mm-hmm. So there's certain things that you... Okay. Before we get to this last question, I want to tease a couple of questions for the Patreon episode. One will be talking about Imagine. All right. Because I think that that is a, uh, that's going to be a good discussion. Uh, the, the, other, the other thing I want to ask you, particularly in the Patreon episode, is um, what you think about the fact that I am a priest, right? That, that I'm actually a, a leader and a, Christ, a Christian leader in a Christian church. It might not be Catholic, but it's close. <laughs> um, so... So yeah, what you think of me personally, but also what, what you think of maybe Christian leadership. Um, oh, you're one of the few people who has restored my faith, Yuri. Okay, well don't don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. We're gonna talk about that more more later. Okay. Um, the question I have to end this uh, this episode, uh, this public episode, is there's a couple of times that you've mentioned things that. Uh, let's say morals or, or, or whatever. One of them is being when Christ has the condemnation against harming the little ones, right? Um, that you, you actually hold to that as a moral truth, right? When Christ said that, he meant it, and it means something. It's the only prohibition he ever issued. And, and, uh, and there's a reason he said it. So, yeah, so, so there's that one 
uh, so you have the these. Okay, so that's one of the sort of moral things that you've talked about. Uh, uh, the other one is, oh man, I just forgot it. You just mentioned it. Um, okay, well, we don't have to remember it. <laughs> Do you remember it? I don't remember it. So, so you actually derive some morality or something from the gospels, which are a sort of a Christian, a Jewish Christian text, sure. right? So how, how do you square, um, maybe having an aversion to, to the Catholic church or certain practices of the Catholic church while still maintaining certain values that are Christian values? Do, do, do you kind of see the question I'm asking? I, I, I guess the reason that I can do that is because I have seen the church's hypocrisy in calling out others while failing to do so of themselves. And that that just makes it so much easier to point a finger at them and say, yeah, you guys are assholes. Mm -hmm. You're liars. You're cheats. You've stolen. Um, there's an amazing film called The Name of the Rose. The original name of the rose was Sean Connery. And yep, in yep. it, one of the monks talks about how for 12 years, all he has done is steal from the poor, stuff his face, and shag his wick. And that's what the Catholic Church allowed him to do. And he became a heretic because he was repudiating what the church was allowing him to do. And people have turned against the church all through history because the church is a master at do what I say, not what I do. And that's so hypocritical. If an 11-year-old can see it, then some of us have an obligation to follow that 11-year-old's vision. If you'd like to listen to the second half of this interview, you can head over to patreon.com slash priest. Your support is what makes this podcast possible. Thanks for listening. Say, why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside?